Before we read, I would remind you that the grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. Romans chapter 12, verses 14 through 21. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the, to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Leslie. When someone hurts you, how should you respond? When someone sins against you, how should you respond? Kids, let me ask you a question. How should you respond when someone hits you? How should you respond when someone says something mean to you? How should you respond? Should you hit back? Should you be mean in return? Should we get even? Should we hurt those who hurt us? As we think about the wrongs that are done to us, what's the good and acceptable and perfect will of God for us? How should we respond? Romans 12 is all about the will of God, the will of God for our lives as Christians. Think back to verses 1 and 2. In response to the mercies of God, What are we called to do? We're called to completely devote ourselves to God and to be renewed in our thinking so that his will becomes a reality in our lives. Your calling is for the will of God to take on flesh and blood in your life. As we heard two weeks ago, the will of God is every member ministry. As we heard last week, the will of God is genuine love. As we will learn today, the will of God is this. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Bless those who persecute you. Invoke God's blessing on those who sin against you. Love your personal opponents and pray that God would bless them. It's not difficult to understand, but to actually do it, it's out of this world. What could be more difficult and more revolutionary? Why would you want to do this? How is it even possible? That's where we're going this morning. What are we called to do? Why 
would we even want to do it? And how is it possible? But first, let's take a brief look at verses 15 and 16. We'll start there because these two verses especially follow on the heels of what we learned last week. These two verses tell us more about genuine love for the church family. So let's start with verses 15 and 16, and then we'll spend most of our time, like Paul does, on the call to bless those who persecute us. So, what does genuine love look like? Paul writes in verse 15, Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. Let me ask this. When you jump for joy, how many parts of your body get off the ground? Hopefully all of them. When your toes leave the ground, how many parts of your body are left there on the ground? None. At least we certainly hope so. Your whole body rejoices. All of it. When your toes leave the ground, the rest of your body leaves the ground with you. What about when you're sick? When you're lying in bed with a cold, which parts of your body are with you in bed? All of them. I certainly hope so. Toes, now get this, toes can't run a fever and sneeze, but they don't wander off when you have a cold, right? Your your toes are perfectly fine, but they stay in bed with you. The point is that when your body suffers, the whole body suffers, Your toes stay with you in bed. Can you see where I'm going? Yeah? In this chapter, Paul has called the church the body of Christ. The body of Christ. And what should the body of Christ do when one member rejoices? When one member leaps for joy? Rejoice! And when one member weeps, what should the body of Christ do? Weep. The problem, the problem, of course, is that we are so self-absorbed by nature. By nature, everything passes through the filter of our own self-interest. So we end up rejoicing and weeping with others when it's in our own best interest to do so. And when it's not seemingly in our own best interests, in our perverse selfishness, we actually rejoice with those who weep. And we weep with those who rejoice. In our hearts, we envy and covet the joys of others. We envy and we covet when we see others and their joys, their successes. And on the flip side, we even delight, we even delight in the downfall of others. This twisted selfishness is rooted in our hearts by nature. And God is so merciful to you. And he is so merciful to me. God sent his son so that we are forgiven. God sent his son to free us from this perverse selfishness. As we grow in understanding God's mercy to us in Jesus Christ, as you grow, 
in being amazed at God's mercy to you in Jesus, then you will be transformed by his spirit to embody his selfless love. At whatever the cost to you, you will rejoice with those who rejoice, and you will weep with those who weep. As we strive to grow in this love, let me point out the obvious. We first need to know the joys and sorrows of others. And to know what they are, we need to ask. And to ask, after asking, we need to listen. I remember when Becky and I hosted Tom and Melody Hartman for dinner a few years ago. At one point in the conversation, Tom looked at us and he, he, he asked, how are you doing? How are you doing? And you know what that's like when you receive that question and you can tell by the tone of voice, by the body language, oh, this person really wants to know. He really wants to know. And that's what happened in that moment. And as Becky and I shared, he and Melody entered into our joys and into our sorrows. So in light of God's mercy to you, ask how others are doing. Stick around for their answer. Lean into their joys and sorrows. And as you do these simple and selfless things, you are well on your way to rejoicing with those who rejoice and weeping with those who weep. Paul has more to say about genuine love in verse 16. He says, Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Once again, The word of God calls us to do what is impossible on our own. Left to ourselves, on our own, we are more like autoimmune diseases that attack the body. By nature, on our own, apart from God's grace. But God saved us and he's transforming us by the spirit of his resurrected son. Now, live in harmony with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Associate with all of your precious church family. Listen to and learn from the people here at Proclamation. Paul says to associate with the lowly. As I reflected this past week, I I wondered, who who do I associate with? Who do you associate with here at Proclamation? Are you willing to associate with all of your church family? Last week... Troy encouraged us, if you were here, he encouraged us to consider occasionally changing where we sit. What do you think? What do you think? It's not always possible for various reasons, and routines are often really helpful. But if nothing else, think about this. If nothing else, occasionally changing where we sit could help us to associate with all of the church family. Think about that. Today we have a fellowship meal after our service. Our fellowship meals are on the third Sunday of every month. So perhaps on a fellowship meal Sunday, you would consider, in light of fellowship, perhaps you would consider sitting somewhere else or sitting on the other side of the row or something like that. Now, as as we think about something like that, please remember the Bible doesn't tell us where to sit on Sunday mornings. 
Our hearts are so legal and struggle with legalism, with thinking, with adding to God's word. So the Bible doesn't tell us where to sit. You could sit in the same seat for decades and obey God's word and faithfully associate with all of God's people. So the point at the end of the day is not where you sit. The point is this, live in harmony with this church family. Associate with everyone, even the lowly, and think of others as better than yourself. Don't be wise in your own eyes. You are called to do this, and I am called to do this by the mercies of God. And by the mercies of God, we're also called to bless those who persecute us. Let's now turn to this dominant theme in verses 17 through 21. First, what what should we not do? That's where Paul goes first. What should we not do when someone sins against you, when someone wrongs you? We should not retaliate. We should not respond in kind. We should not get even. Listen again to verses 17 through 19. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Even unbelievers recognize Even unbelievers recognize that it is good to not get even. They have a God-given conscience, and their conscience recognizes the goodness of non-retaliation. This is why Paul says, do not repay evil for evil, but do what is honorable in the sight of all. Even unbelievers, in their conscience, maybe they won't acknowledge it with their lips, but in their conscience, they know to not retaliate is good. With that said, Paul says it's not always possible to live at peace with everyone. He acknowledges that. So as a Christian, your devotion to Christ may mean that peace is not possible. You can make every effort to be at peace with someone who refuses to be at peace with you. We all know by personal experience that these things are true. So what Paul is saying is that if you're going to be at odds with someone... May it never be because you did them wrong. May it never be because you did wrong or repaid evil for evil. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Paul goes on in verse 19 to say, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. Never avenge yourself. Never. Why not? Because vengeance does not belong to you. And it doesn't belong to me. On the last day, God will right every wrong and injustice. Christ is coming again. And on that day, you will be vindicated by his vengeance. So Paul is saying, leave it. Leave it. Family of God, brothers and sisters in Christ, leave it to the wrath of God. Payday is someday, but it's not your job this day. 
What Paul's doing here is he's ruling out personal retaliation. Leave it. Leave it to the wrath of God. Let me just say briefly that he's not saying that you can't ask for help. He's not saying that you can't ask for help. Let me briefly point out where Paul goes in chapter 13. In a few verses, Paul will say that the governing authority is this. He is God's servant who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Do you hear that language? The governing authority is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. So, if a crime is committed against you, ask for help. Do not personally retaliate, but ask for help. Do not seek out vengeance on your own, but call 911. The governing authority is ordained by God to promote justice. Do not personally retaliate, but ask for help. That's what Paul will go on to say, or as he talks about the governing authority. This is one of those implications of what he says there. No personal retaliation, but leave it to the wrath of God. So what are you to not do? You are not to repay evil for evil. In verse 20, Paul says what to do instead. Here's what we're not to do. Okay, Paul, positively, what are we to do instead? Verse 20 To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. What Paul is saying is this. As Christians, we are called to actively love those who sin against us. Instead of taking matters into your own hands, leave it in God's hands, and then use your hands to do practical good to your enemies. That's what he's saying. Don't take it into your own hands. Leave it in God's hands and do practical good to your enemy. Offer food and water. Be mercifully good even to your enemy. And notice, when you love your enemy in this way, what's the result? For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. There are different interpretations of what this means. This probably means that your love, in some sense, furthers his or her condemnation. In some sense, your love furthers their condemnation. So the point is not to love enemies with the conscious aim of stoking the fire. Paul's not saying, love your enemies so that they'll get it. He's saying, God promises to punish your enemies. So because that's true, because of his promise to punish your enemies, you have reason to do them good today. There's a vivid, uh, a vivid story in the Old Testament that illustrates this very truth. So I want to share that briefly with you. In 2 Kings, we read about how the Syrians at one point surrounded the city. I believe it was the city of Samaria. So the attacking army surrounds God's people. And Elisha prayed that the Syrians would be struck with blindness, and they were. Then Elisha led the Syrians into the city and asked for God to open their eyes once again. And lo and behold, 
the army that was once surrounding God's people is now surrounded. The surrounding army is now surrounded, and the king of Israel said to Elisha, Can I kill them? Can I kill them now? Here they are. They're ours. And Elisha said, No. Set bread and water before them, that they may eat and drink and go to their master. So he prepared for them a great feast. Think of that. Brothers and sisters, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If your enemy is hungry, give her something to drink. You are called to love your enemies. Paul gives us the takeaway in verse 21. The takeaway is this. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. What happens when you retaliate? What happens when you get even? In that moment, evil overcomes good. But what happens when you leave it to God and do good? Good overcomes evil. So beloved, overcome evil with good. Overcome evil with good. But what could be more difficult and more demanding? What could be harder than this? The sobering truth, the sobering truth is that we are so prone to merciless anger. Mercy, anger without mercy. Instead of feeding our enemies, we want to starve them. And we are overcome by evil all the time. When you retaliate, think with me about this. When you retaliate, when you get even, whatever that looks like, whether it looks like hitting someone back or yelling at someone back or holding a bitter grudge, whatever that might look like, what's happening in that moment? When you get even, you're living as if you are in charge. You're acting like you have the right to judge the people who hurt you. In other words, you are taking God's place as the only judge whose right it is to pass judgment. So when you respond to true wrongs in the wrong way, you are saying, vengeance is mine. I will repay. So your sinful anger is a huge problem. It is a huge problem. It is a huge problem between you and your God. Vengeance belongs to him, not to you. But we try to take it anyway. We arrogantly try to take what rightly belongs to God alone, as if we are God. To act like we're in charge of his world, to act like vengeance belongs to us, to act like we're we are the judge. It is to sin against a holy and righteous and perfect God. What our sin deserves is the burning, heaping coals of God's wrath. But God is, God is not like you. And he's not like me. God is not merciless. He's merciful. God chose to bless us when we persecuted him, God chose to feed his enemies, us, and to give us something to drink. 
God chose to repay and overcome our evil, the evil of trying to take his place and be the judge and the lawgiver as though vengeance belongs to us. God chose to repay our evil and overcome it with good, his good. And he did this, brothers and sisters, he did this by sending his own son. God overcame our evil by sending Jesus who blessed his persecutors, who repaid no one evil for evil, who refused to retaliate even when he was slandered and betrayed and falsely accused and crucified on a cross. Jesus came to offer food and drink to those who were his enemies. He came to offer himself so that proud, vengeful sinners like us are saved. So your sinful anger and mine, it creates a huge problem, not just with the people around you, but with the living God, the holy God, the righteous God. But Jesus came to fix that problem once and for all by being punished in our place. As Jesus bled to death on the cross, the burning coals of God's wrath were poured out, but they weren't poured out on you. They weren't poured out on me. They were poured out on the selfless, Savior, Jesus Christ himself. So brothers and sisters, God sacrificed his own beloved son so that his enemies might become his friends. God cursed his own beloved son so that his enemies might be blessed. God sent and sacrificed his son so that you and I might be reconciled to him. That is good news, brothers and sisters. Our vengeful anger is against God, and yet he has made a way for us to be saved, for that sin to be dealt with, and he sacrificed himself, his own son, to make that possible, to save us. So as you think about this, as you think about vengeful anger, sinful anger that's against God, the question is, Have you honestly confessed your sin to God? Have you honestly confessed your sinful anger, your retaliatory anger to God? Have you asked him to forgive you for the sake of Jesus Christ? The good news is that all who repent and believe in the Son of God are forgiven and restored and reconciled. In Jesus' death and his resurrection and ascension, Jesus came, overcame your evil with good. And now he calls us by his spirit to do the very same thing with our enemies, to overcome evil with good. How is it possible to bless your enemies? How is it possible to bless those who have wronged you? These are true wrongs. How is it possible? This revolutionary call is possible because because Christ is in you. Christ is in you. We have 24-7 access to the resources of omnipotent grace and of omnipotent mercy in Jesus Christ. In all these things, even in loving our enemies, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. In all these things, even in loving your enemies, Christian, You are more than a conqueror 
through Jesus who loved you. How can we grow in this? How can we grow as, as people who refuse to repay evil for evil? Change ultimately cannot start with medication or meditation or self-help techniques or counting to 10 when you're angry. Change ultimately can't start there. It can't start there because change has to start with your relationship with God. He's the one you're offending. So medication and meditation and these self-help techniques ultimately can't change you. It's a heart issue. You need to go to God. It's about your relationship with Him. Your sin is against Him. So ask for His forgiveness. Go to Him and ask for His help to change. It says we personally experience the wonder of God's mercy that we will learn to be merciful. It's as we personally know and experience the undeserved kindness of God that we will learn to show undeserved kindness to others. It's as we experience the wonder of God overcoming our evil with good that we will learn to do the same. We will, as God's people, overcome evil with good. So Christian, you have to go to God for help. Go to God for help. Could any command be more difficult than this? Could any command be more revolutionary than this? You have to go to God for help. And to help you go to God, use the Psalms. Use the Psalms. The Psalms will help you to wrestle with God about the wrongs that have been done to you. As you pray and sing the Psalms, they will help you to walk in faith, to commit your cause to God, to believe that perfect justice is coming. The Psalms will help you to relate with your living and merciful God. Relationship with Him, relationship with your living and merciful God is what will nurture mercy in your heart, even toward your enemies. So vengeance is mine, I will repay, says not you, says your God. One day he will right every wrong. So Christian, set your hope on the second coming of Christ. May God help us to be merciful to others as he is so merciful to us. Amen.